0: Well, if you'd like to turn your Bibles to Romans 4. I'm going to begin by reading the passage today. Romans 4 verse 13 to the end of the chapter. Paul writes, It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing. And the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He's our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification, Hollywood uh, gives us a few different takes on the impossible, doesn't it? That's this is what movies are based on: the impossible dream, the impossible goal. So often being realised, isn't it? There's this this incredible stories about something so lofty and ambitious that is just in human terms not possible being achieved and there's two there's kind of two two ways that we see this in Hollywood the first is the mighty ducks way uh, where the impossible dream of kids who can't skate winning the ice hockey competition uh, by is achieved by sheer well hard work by willpower, by teamwork, by having a good attitude and mostly by having a great coach that's able to unite these random kids into a team, and not just a team but a winning team. What was impossible on the first take uh, actually is achieved through hard work, through effort. That's the one... That's the one uh, option. The other one is where the impossible dream is, a cheer, is achieved just through sheer luck. And you see this in movies like The Princess Swap, where <clears throat> just through sheer luck, the down-and-out baker comes to discover that she has a long-lost twin sister who's a princess in another country, who not only is she a princess in another country, but actually doesn't really suit her, and she wants to give it up, and so wants to trade places with this twin, <clears throat> And so this impossible dream of going from down in our baker to reigning monarch happens just through sheer, the sheer luck of circumstances and it comes about with a bit of drama and comedy on the way. But uh, that's, that's the kind of two extremes, isn't it? The way that the impossible becomes reality according to Hollywood. Either you work at it and somehow you achieve what's impossible or... Just just through the sheer aligning of the universe, the impossible just lands in your lap. And we love it. I mean, we love watching these things, but it becomes pretty hard to take home, to apply, if we're thinking in that way. Either we're striving for something that's impossible and we get the message we just have to work harder. We have to have a better attitude. We have to have a better coach. We have to keep going, trying, achieving better to get to the impossible. Or we just going to sit back and wait for it to fall in our lap and chances are we're not going to be the recipient of that kind of luck. It seems to happen a lot more in Hollywood than it does in real life. Uh, no surprises there. How do we respond to our impossible? Particularly in the book of Romans, we've been reading about our impossible situation before God. As sinful human beings, how can we be made right, able to stand before God who is holy and pure when we have let him down? We have turned our back on him and rejected him and have lived our own way when we're unworthy, when what we deserve is his anger. How can we front up? And Paul has brought the fantastic news that the impossible is impossible, not through our hard work and not just through luck, but through God's promise of righteousness. Righteousness through Jesus. He's explained in chapter 3 how Jesus died to take God's anger and how he lived his righteousness can be counted to our account. This is the impossible hope of of the gospel that Romans is unpacking. And when we get to chapter 4, he's giving an example of this in Abraham, back in the history of God's people Israel. But now he's, in the second half, he's zooming in to ask, how is it that we receive? How is it that this impossible reality can be received? And the answer, it's not through hard work and it's not just by luck. It's not a random lucky draw. When you die and front up to God, will you be found righteous or not? What do we see in verse 13? It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise That it be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. In the gospel, the righteousness of God has been revealed, a righteousness that comes by faith. That's what we're looking at today, receiving the impossible by faith. Uh, He starts unpacking this and what he does is he gives us six reasons Six explanations to why this is the case. Why is it that we receive it by faith? And I'm going to run through these quickly. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on them. Six reasons. The first, in verse 13, <clears throat> sorry, in verse 14, is it's not by law because if that was so, then faith would mean nothing and the promise would become worthless. If we achieve righteousness, if we achieve Being right before God through the law by ticking off all the rules and saying yes, I've achieved them all. Then what's the point? What's the place of faith? Well, it it doesn't matter then. If it matters, if the law matters, if that's what counts, then faith doesn't come into the equation. And God's promise of righteousness, particularly the promise He's been talking about a lot here in this chapter—the promise to Abraham that his faith would be credited as righteousness. Well, that's worthless in that promise, if actually what counts is fulfilling the law. That's the first one. The second one. Paul says it's not by law because the law doesn't bring about, it doesn't actually work to bring about this righteousness, fixing up this impossible situation. The law brings wrath, brings God's anger. Why? Because we fail at the law. The law shows how many times we don't live up to God's standard. So if we're measuring up to the, measuring ourselves with the law, all we're going to find is we don't meet the standard. We are sinners before God and we deserve his wrath. That's why he explains in verse 15, where there is no law, there's no transgression, but where there's no boundary marker, how do you know when you've crossed over? How do you know when you've stepped into sin? The law marks it out. And so as we read the law, as we, well, it reminds us that we're sinners. It doesn't remind us that the impossible situation of us being right with God has been achieved. That doesn't work. Okay. <clears throat> Verse 16, Paul says, the righteousness of The promise is received by faith so that it can be by grace, so that God can give it as a gift, not as something we earn. He gives us righteousness. It's a gift. It's by grace. Verse 16, he continues, so that it may be guaranteed. This, This promise of the impossible can be guaranteed. You can't be guaranteed based on luck, can you? You can't give a guarantee based on flawed human beings achieving the law because we fail at that. God can guarantee that his promise will be fulfilled because it's based on him giving the gift that we receive through faith. We, we just receive it. There's no Necessary work on our part. There's no minimum standard that we have to achieve, so it can be guaranteed. There's no one who's unworthy of of receiving. Well, we're all unworthy. But there's no one who doesn't meet the criteria of receiving the gift of righteousness. And he continues, it can be guaranteed for who? For all of Abraham's offspring. Abraham was also promised that he would be the father, not just of the Jewish nation, but of many nations. He had other descendants that didn't receive the law that came through Moses to the descendants of Abraham's grandchild, Jacob. He had lots of other children. Notably Esau. No, Ishmael, sorry. get mixed up. Notably, Ishmael, who became the father of other nations in Arabia. How can they all inherit, how can they all receive the promise if it has to be done through the law that only one part of his descendants got? That's what Paul's arguing here. And the final thing, the promise has to be received by faith because it depends on God's supernatural power to do the impossible. Have a look. That's in verse uh, verse 17. Abraham is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. God is the one who transforms people who are dead into those who are alive, who created the world out of nothing, who calls into being things that were not. He creates a state of reality that did not exist before. Where there were no one righteous before God, God is the one who brings it about. To those who were morally dead, bankrupt before him, He makes us spiritually alive in Christ. And this isn't something that we achieve. It's something that we receive through faith, Paul's saying. The promise is received by faith because it depends on God's power to bring about. God's supernatural power. There we are. He's arguing this and he follows up this argument about why faith is the means of receiving with the example, the example of Abraham and his faith. Did you notice as I was reading it before the detail he goes into about Abraham's faith? What was his faith look? What did his faith look like? Have a look with me again at verse eighteen. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed. Abraham's faith looked at the state of reality. And saw that there was nothing to hope in for this promise to be fulfilled. This promise that through him, God was going to do wonderful things. Was going to give him children. Not just one child, but a huge nation. And many nations. And give him a land when he had no land. No right to claim any of it as his own. And was going to bless him and make him a blessing to all the families of the earth. Abraham looks and he's a... He's a wanderer. He's got no home to call his own. He's got no children. There's nothing, humanly speaking, that he can base his faith on going, yeah, well, this is, it's a logical conclusion of what I can see now. No, it's the opposite. God's going to completely change it. And so Abraham, what's his response? It's trusting against hope, against the appearance of things. And then he, when he takes stock of himself, what does he see? Verse 19, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. What are the chances of him having a child when he's past childbearing age? when his wife is obviously past childbearing age and has been barren up to this point. It's an impossible situation. And yet, how does Abraham respond to this impossible situation? Well, he hears the promise of God and he believes. Without weakening his faith. Verse 20, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. It was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God he holds firm trusting yes he was disobedient to God he didn't always do what was right but when it comes to the promise of God he trusted him. even when after receiving the miracle baby Isaac God asked him to sacrifice, to kill that son. What does Abraham do? He trusts. He hopes against hope without wavering. He is obedient to God. He expresses his faith by being willing to sacrifice. And he's stopped by God's hand at the last minute. But he trusts that God, who has done the miracle of giving him a baby already, God can do the miracle of bringing him back. God, when it comes to the promise, he knows what God's going to do. God has said it. and He believes. Faith for the impossible. He is fully persuaded. Fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. Are you fully persuaded that God can do the impossible? Sometimes, I don't know, we don't often think about the impossible things of life. Um, I want to give give you an example of this from a guy called George Miller. He lived in the 19th century in England he did amazing work of caring for orphans, particularly set up five orphanages, cared for in his life about 10,000 orphans. But his attitude was to trust God and not ask people to help him. He never asked people for money or to provide. That was his conviction. This is, this is just one, act, one event that happened. The children are dressed and ready for school, but there's no food for them to eat, the house mother of the orphanage informed George Mueller. George asked her to take the 300 children into the dining room and have them sit at the tables. He thanked God for the food and waited. Can you imagine that? Running an orphanage, having 300 kids, having no food, eat for dinner? What would you be doing? I'll tell you what I'd be doing if the housemistress said we've got no food. i will be getting on my bike and going and knocking on doors and <laughs> trying to act to solve the problem. But George, in his faith, his conviction that God would provide, he's... He sits down, he thanks God for the food and waits. George knew God would provide food for the children as he always did. Within minutes, a baker knocked on the door. Mr. Mueller, he said, last night I couldn't sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning, so I got up and baked three batches for you. I'll bring it in. And soon there was another knock at the door. It was the milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. The milk would spoil by the time the wheel was fixed, and he asked George if he could use some free milk. And George smiled as the milkman brought in 10 large cans of milk. It was just enough for the 300 thirsty children. Are you convinced that God can do the impossible? Do you believe it? It's not a promise that God will do the impossible in every situation, really, he? But he can. And he will do it in the areas in which he has promised. And so that's where the last couple of verses bring this home for us. Verse 22 says, that is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were not written for him alone, but also for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Here, Paul says the promise of Abraham's faith being credited as righteousness. That's a model. It's a pattern that also holds for us. It's a promise of God for us who believe that our faith will be credited as righteousness, that the impossible will will be made possible for us. We will be able to be right in God's sight. How? How will this promise be received? Through faith, through believing. Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins. He died. The penalty's been paid. He was raised to life for our justification. God does the impossible. Brings life to the dead. His power demonstrates that our sins are fully paid. That's done. Christ reigns as one, having defeated death, offers life, offers this righteousness to those who would trust in him. He raced. he won. Death couldn't hold him down. What Jesus has achieved, he offers freely. The impossible can be yours. His promise, right with God. Simply receive it by faith. And as we do this, we do this once, don't we? There's a there's a moment where we have to accept what God offers, but we continue to do it, don't we? We continue to, to remember the absurdity, the impossibility of what God does. We continue to stand in faith before him. We look at the world and what do we see? Well, we just get reminded about how impossible it is, don't we? How ridiculous it is to trust God in this matter. We're called to hope against hope in faith. We face the fact that our bodies are as good as dead, aren't they? Even if we're not about 100 as Abraham was, our bodies have a limited timeline. We're all going to die. And yet, in Christ, we have the promise of life, the impossible. Here's how uh, the famous theologian John Calvin explained. He said, let us also remember that the condition of us all is the same as that of Abraham. All things around us are in opposition to the promises of God. He promises immortality. We are surrounded with mortality and corruption. He declares that he counts us just. We are covered with sins. Isn't that our experience? We, we, lie, we live and we keep encountering our own sin, reminders us that we're not worthy, we're not deserving of being counted right in God's sight. And yet, God promises the opposite, the impossible. Calvin goes on. He testifies. That he is propitious and kind to us. But outward judgments threaten his wrath. Talking about All the things we see in the world, the symbols of God having cursed the ground because of human sin. The effects of the fall that we bear out in sin, in sickness, disease, death that surrounds us. The brokenness of the world, human relationships. That don't work as God designed them to. They're all reminders that we're fallen, that God judges. What then is to be done? We must, with closed eyes, pass by ourselves and all things connected with us, that nothing may hinder us, prevent us from believing that God is true. In faith, We remember that God can do the impossible. Not only that, that God has promised us the impossible. In thinking about Hollywood, there's those two kind of classic approaches to the impossible being achieved. Uh, But I did find one that kind of parallels what's going on here, and it's in Dirk Gently, his holistic detective agency. I don't know if you're a fan of Douglas Adams' work. Maybe you're not. Uh, but Dirk gently is a detective and to solve the impossible possible situation, the impossible uh, case, he doesn't work at it. and he's not just hoping in blind luck is actually it comes down to who he is. His own identity is wrapped up that he is this holistic detective, as chosen by in his case the universe. Uh to be the one through whom the clues just come to at the right time. But the impossible is achieved, not through hard work and not just through sheer luck, but because of who he is. It's his identity. That's the reality for us, isn't it? Who are we? Well, Paul's explained, we can be children of Abraham, children of of God, recipients of God's promise. God promises impossibly great things that we simply receive by faith, who he makes us to be, what he does. Let me pray. Good, good Father, we thank you for the promises that you make to us in your word. And especially we thank you that you have promised us in the Lord Jesus we can be right in your sight. We can be counted righteous. We thank you that the way that you've set this up is that we're to to receive it by faith, not by working hard, achieving the law, not by luck, simply by receiving it in faith. And please help us to stand firm in faith when, it, when we are reminded of how impossible this is, how undeserving we are. Please help us to be fully persuaded to hope against hope. And We pray that like Abraham's example, you would use us as examples to others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.